tu quelqu'un? Monster Island Resort listeners, thank you for returning once again to the Monster Island Resort, your online radio show that goes bump in the night. I am your host, Miguel Rodriguez, and I bring you horror in history, art, literature, film, and beyond. And today I'm enjoying an ice-cold pistol-whipped pilsner in the bottle craft of uh, saloon, I guess, store here in Little Italy in San Diego, California. And I have a guest with me. His name is Eric Falardo, and he is the director of a film called Thanatomorphos, which I saw last night at the Frequency Film Festival, put on by my friend Paul Perietti here in San Diego. It's a really interesting film, and I wanted to talk to him about that. But before I talk about that, I just want to let you know there's going to be a little bit of background noise, some ambiance, if you will, to accompany us here. But... First of all, let's uh, introduce Eric. How are you, sir? I'm really glad to uh, be here with you and your listener today. Yes, I'm glad that you could be here in San Diego. So you came to the Frequency Film Festival all the way from Montreal. Yes, uh, that's right. Well, uh, it was the film premiere in the USA. So uh, we decided to come here. And I also had a meeting for another. Not interesting for your listeners, but I had another meeting. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> Aha, the plot thickens. You had an excuse. <laughs> okay, well, Paul, don't feel less special. No, 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 no. No, it, it was really uh, kind of an amazing crowd yesterday for the screening and uh, good reactions. We're really happy. The place is amazing. Ocean Beach Theater. So uh, we couldn't be more uh, happy than, uh, than that to screen the film there. Yeah. yeah, it was a really fun screening. And as you said, it's an intimate space. But the crowd was very receptive. I was really happy because um, usually people take the film more seriously. But yesterday people were laughing at the kind of dark humor there is in the film, where I laugh myself when I listen to it anyway. So well, I, I assumed really a lot of that was intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. Well, it's, it's taken to uh, such an extreme in some parts mm -hmm. that it has to have some kind of humorous aspect. Yeah, and uh, I would think that without the humor, that film would be more. Uh, of a slog or difficult. 
Yeah, but I think uh, sometimes the, 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 they say the more the merrier, but uh, <laughs> I don't think so, you know, especially in that kind of film where it's kind of, it's really dark and uh, it's really hard, so you have to have some relief some places, mm -hmm. even though it's not directly evident that you see it or you uh, sense it, but uh, when people are um, sensitive enough, they can at least pick that up right. and uh, be able to uh, go through the film. Yeah. Well, let's back up a little bit. Yep. So uh, I was able to see this film because I was asked to introduce it as part of a partnership that I have with Frequency Film Festival, with my own film festival, Horrible Imaginings. And so uh, I saw it for the first time sitting in my room on my computer screen, which is not the best place to see your film. I, I have to admit, seeing it on the big screen made a world of difference. So I really enjoyed the film in both venues, but uh, seeing it on the big screen, it was awesome. And with that crowd, you're, everybody is feeding off the energy because it's there are parts of the film that make people react, as you said, in a variety of ways, whether it's laughter or revulsion. So I want to talk about that film, your previous films, and uh, you had a Q&A afterwards yep. that I found very fascinating. So uh, you might have to repeat yourself. Oh, no problem. <laughs> you seem like a guy who likes to talk. So. Yeah. <laughs> with a good beard, uh, always uh, easy to talk. That's right. What are you drinking anyway? Uh, we bought a beer from, uh, I don't know, I'll ask uh, the DOP of the film, Benoit Lemire, which is with me. What are we doing from that one? It's a double IPA. It's a double IPA from uh, a kind of new brewery, Heretic Brewing Company. Yes. Which is uh, pretty good right now. You can't go wrong with an IPA. <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> I don't. I went for the pistol whipped because I have. I feel pistol whipped today. I've been running around, but uh, it seems good. All right. So uh, why don't you tell me about before we talk about your films? So uh, there are two films I want to talk about because I did watch the short you gave me last yep. night. But before we do that, why don't you tell me about uh, who you are, how you got into filmmaking, and and your philosophy behind filmmaking? Okay. Well, essentially, I've studied in cinema and film studies at the university, where I did my master thesis on gore film and porn film, but body fluids in both, uh, in both genres, which was really great and fun uh, to work on. So, a little bit before that, I was studying psychology mm -hmm. and started making film with Benoit, who just heard uh, a little bit before. We just made some films, short films, for a movement in Quebec that is called Kino. Uh, which is uh, like you make a film each month uh, with no money, nothing, and you try to do the best that you can, and you try a lot of stuff. So it was kind of our school. <laughs> and when I started making my master thesis, I decided to do some more serious film and, and things that are more per personal uh, than what we were doing, and we left the Kino movement uh, because we sensed that we had did what we had to do there and decided to, uh, to start shooting films. So we started with a film which is called La Petite Mort, uh, The Little Death in English, and it's a kind of an homage Dario Argento. And from there we uh, decided to uh, keep on going and we shot afterward films in Super 8mm film, also Purgatory, Coming Home, Camshot, uh, which people haven't seen much uh, because it's more a narrative. Uh, yes. experimental film and another film in Mini DV and then Crepuscule a film which was blown out blown up in uh, 35 millimeters and afterward Tantomorphose yeah excellent um, can people still see your 8 millimeter films 
Yeah, uh, you can see them on uh, my Vimeo page, which is vimeo.com slash film. I will, uh, I'll put the link on my website. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I think it'll be easier. <laughs> All the films are there, but uh, Camshot isn't because there are too ma- much titties in that, so. Yeah. There are too much, too many, what? <laughs> yeah, too many titties in what? that. Oh, yeah. oh, wow, come on. <laughs> and, and there aren't too many in the other films? Uh, no, but at the same time, so uh, everyone can go on that side, so you can just put everything on there. Vimeo no. does not like the no. boobs then. And that's funny because our film, like people can show people being decapitated. Yes. And I don't know whatever they can do to people in our film. But when you come with uh, breast and uh, penis and everything, like people start to freak out. So yeah, it's kind particularly of funny. penis, I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Which we'll <laughs> talk about, I think, in a bit. Yep. But uh, one thing I want to... Actually, you, you brought up something that is gonna, I'm going to throw away a question for this one. You talked about, uh, was it a Kino? Yep. And would you say that making all those films for Kino is uh, more of a film school than university? Well, in fact, university, I was in film studies, not in uh, production. And I found it important because uh, a lot of filmmakers today, or a lot of films that I see, they don't understand what they're doing. They're just like making the film that they've seen 10 years ago and making it again and again and again and again. And uh, that... That's how uh, film are cliché because yes. they're just doing the same thing. This, uh, so you have to um, have more experience and read books and see stuff. And uh, sometimes your idea is not that good, so you have to think it over, just not shoot it yeah. right now. So with Kino, we learned that too because you're shooting a film a month. So the first idea you have, you have to shoot it fast because you have a job and anything so you don't have uh, but sometimes you see the reaction of the people it's like what wasn't that good <laughs> but you learn that kind of stuff so it was really like um, yeah, it was a film school uh, in uh, people reactions to the movie because each month you have a screening uh, with the other filmmakers but with people in bars and everything so you can already uh, learn what it is to present film in front of people and learn to uh, accept criti- criticism which is another thing that a lot of people uh, filmmakers that I've met or that I know uh, can take. <laughs> Excellent. I've always thought that the best way to learn to make film is to just make a bunch of films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course to screen them. If no one sees it, then, then it's worthless. But uh, yeah, I, wanna, I have a couple of notes here and I, I want to yep. go in a good order. So let's. what makes sense first is I think, let me get the DVD out because I want to make sure I pronounce this correctly. Crepuscule? Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. So, Crepuscule, that's your um, short film that is all stop-motion animated. Uh, I think I'm going to talk about this along with the Thanatomorphos because thematically there's some similarities. Am I wrong about that? No, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One similarity that isn't the theme but actually uh, method is the use of Mm stop-motion. Now, uh, Crepuscule is an entire stop-motion film. How, uh, and Thanatomorphos, I believe, has a little bit... Yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of stop motion. Right, right, just at the... You know, at the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to give away anything. <laughs> Let's just say that there's some stop motion in there. <laughs> Tell me what are your feelings, first of all, about stop motion, and I believe a lot of people think that it's a bit of a dead art form. What What is your opinion of it, and, and what does it bring to the cinema? Well, it's really funny because uh, people tend to say that stop motion... It, yeah, it's kind of dead, but isn't from all the techniques of animation that are still being used, like drawing on cellulose, yes. aren't used anymore, <laughs> and uh, all those stuff, it's all on computers, but stop motion are still being made, and uh, not just in a special uh, 
companies or right. uh, like National Film Board in Canada, which is specialized in animation film. So there's a lot of techniques like the pin screen uh, and I don't know uh, animation with sand and everything. But uh, stop motion is used uh, by independent filmmakers, which is amazing. Yeah. So I don't think it's there. And uh, when it came to Crepuscule, when I wrote the script, at first I wanted to shoot it with real live action, live actors yes. uh, in um, on a close set, a lot of. Uh, sets uh, referring to Japanese uh, buto dance and everything yes. but at the same time the other idea I had was that we should make it in stop motion because it's more fantastical there's kind of uh, uh, poetry to that and there's uh, kind of um, definitely surreal yeah, surreal yeah, yes. so we just decided to go with stop motion so it was a big learning cur curve too because uh, you had we never made stop motion before mm -hmm. but I, I had two uh, animators with me but at the same time Uh, it was quite, uh, yeah, it, 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 it was difficult and it was new for us. Uh, and a lot of people didn't believe in what we were doing because yeah. they said, you have no experience, stop motion. And I was difficult. like, yeah. maybe, but we'll learn doing it. And at the same time, the film asked to be shot in stop motion. So if I start thinking myself just as a filmmaker who's making that kind of film, of that kind of stuff, uh, I, I think uh, it isn't interesting because I don't want to do... Uh, the same thing, although there's always same, similar themes and you know yeah. obsessions as a filmmaker, but uh, I want to be able to decide to do what I want with the techniques that I want if a film asks for it. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so I just wanted to give a, get a little bit of technique out of the way because I think yeah. I am far more interested in the um, the philosophy aspect of your yep. films. So uh, I, I'll go with the question I asked last night. So last night I, I um, asked you about... What you see as a clear connection between sexuality and horror or sexuality and death. You even said a little while ago that your master's thesis was about gore films and porno films and yep. the body fluids yep. in them. Did you talk about a connection between the body fluids and those two? Or? Yeah, well, well, in fact, oh, what I did in Master Thesis, the first part was about making similarities between the way the body is shot in both films. There's an extensive use of close-ups. Yeah. But also in uh, on the narrative side, sex scenes or horror scenes, they're kind of small narratives inside the narratives, you know, especially when you take the... the Uh, a famous example, Argento, yes. you know, his death scene almost seems like a movie within a movie because, oh, yeah, yeah. and sometimes it seems like they just didn't belong there because they don't help the story anyway, uh, <laughs> depending on what's going on. But so what people want to see when they watch an horror film or a sex film are those scenes, like sex scenes and horror scenes. They're both money shots. They're both money shots yes. with blood and in other cases with uh, sperm. But yes. at the same time, it, they're really, they're big similarities between the way uh, The two uh, genres treats their narrative and how they shot. Uh, and afterward, I was talk talking about the body as um, an object of commodity in those yes. in those kind of films and uh, the performance as aspect of that. Because in our film, people runs, people cry, people. Uh, it, it's really um, centered around the body, yes. just like a porn film which is uh, all about muscles and how they put themselves in the pos positions and everything. And finally, my master thesis was stating that the relation to the body in both genres, in fact, might be 
a way to deal with how we ate our body or how we treat its incapacities. Mm-hmm. In porn films, it's the perfect body, you know, yeah. it's uh, muscular, it, it lasts an hour to do yeah. something and everything. That's the other, that's yeah. the other way around. Like the body is just rotting away, the body is always turned inside out, the body is like the reverse. Yeah, it's the reverse. So yeah. it, each are two sides of the same coins, you know, sense, for me. Because with porn, uh, it's uh, what we would like to be. Yeah. And in horror, it's what we are afraid we could become. Yep. So it's interesting. I, I, I got, it got me thinking a lot about that. <laughs> I remember talking to someone about horror, and I remember someone making the, the remark that uh, she didn't like when there was a lot of sexuality in horror because she didn't think, she thought like sexuality was a beautiful thing and horror is an ugly thing and that they, were, they shouldn't be connected. And, and I can't help but think that they're completely and utterly connected whether we want them to or not. So, uh, why don't you tell me about what you think the link is between sexuality and, and horror or, or death or fear or whatever and some of your philosophies behind that? Well, uh, yesterday I answered a question a little bit about that and I was saying that uh, when I was reading book, uh, in psychology, but I saw a book from uh, Louis Vincent Thomas with, uh, not the founder, but one of the founder of the science that they call thanatology, which is uh, all that deals with death and all the bodies rotting, but also the reaction, the psychological reaction, anthropological one, uh, everything. So he um, was saying that... Um, what was the name of the book? Uh, Louis-Vincent Thomas wrote uh, things like uh, La Mort, uh, The Death, or mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's, it's a French a French uh, author. Well, he was saying that uh, what they observe in the states when someone is dealing with death, uh, there are several states of uh, attitude, like, you know, anger, denial, stuff like that, mm-hmm. and also a raise in libido, yeah. uh, which they didn't really quite understand. Uh, but at the same time, when you're thinking about it on a purely biological level, that's the only answer to death, you know, because we must reproduce ourselves to last in time through our genes, through our sons, daughters, which will reproduce our <laughs> genetical, pa- uh, you so know, they will pro- keep on... Pro- pro- procreation yeah, is our immortality. Yeah, and that and telling stories, because stories yes. sometimes last in time and we retell them generation from generation, but it's a kind of natural reaction from the body to try to survive and fight for itself through mm-hmm. sexuality. Yes. Which is kind of amazing yeah. because it really connects death and sexuality. And it's really funny because how do you start when you when two people make sex, it's fluids melting together, mm-hmm. making a baby. And when you die, you rot, so you're going back to fluids and stuff like that. Yeah. So And feeding the earth. And feeding the earth. <laughs> but at the same if time If you're not in a box anyway. <laughs> we're just flesh and bones and fluids and everything and we start from that and we're going back to that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so both of them are connected, uh, sexuality and, and horror, but not horror, but death. Yes. Um, and it's normal that in horror films, sexuality takes a lot of, of place because, well, for these reasons and also because uh, they're both, the representation of sexuality and horror stuff are both transgressive for most of people. So naturally, there's like um, some connection. Yeah. When you think about old horror film, even the German expressionist one, mm-hmm. like Nosferatu, there's a lot of nods to sexuality. Uh, oh, yeah. The shadows that stake the breast of the woman and everything. It's always been there. The vampire, I mean, uh, everyone knows <laughs> uh, that red, it's, it can be a metaphor lips, for, yeah. for, for, uh, for uh, the sex, the intercourse. But anyway, uh, so with, that's really fascinating. Yeah. And how people react to that 
because it's still taboo. And it's really amazing because sexuality, everyone's doing it. Yeah. Uh, and, or will or has. And everyone usually enjoys it. Though sometimes not. <laughs> and that's funny too. Uh, well, anyway, so there's a lot of parallel to be made between, between both of them. Do you think that mortality and sex fascinate us in the same way? Like, do they come from the same place within us? I think so. Yeah. I think so, because uh, when you think about life in general, uh, well, after you have your basic needs fulfilled, mm -hmm. like uh, having a house or uh, uh, eating, uh, the, the basic, mm -hmm. what's after that? Uh, you are afraid because someday you will die or people you know will die so you try to make sense of your life to understand why we're here so either you believe in God or you don't believe in nothing <laughs> you know it's, it's all deal with the moment we will die and then afterward how could I stay or how could I enjoy what I'm doing sexuality is there so uh, I mean they're two of the main interests in our lives yeah. even though we don't realize it uh, When we're uh, working to get money to give to our children, we will die. Mm -hmm. We may, might not be thinking properly about our death, but we're working, thinking about it, it's dying. There, yes, <laughs> it's <yeah>. there. <laughs> yeah. uh, Saving so for retirement. Yeah. 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 And when you're having sex, I mean, even though you don't want babies, your bodies, the bodies, that's right. the function, why it's doing that and that. It's and that's the duality. Yeah, that's the right? duality yes. of it. So it's really amazing how you, how those themes can either be be used to make great films or great. And there's a fear of having babies when you don't want one. Yeah, <laughs> and you have them. It's alive uh, yes. from Larry Cohen and stuff like that. Coming <laughs> But yeah, uh, so I guess both of them came from the same place, even though we don't realize it, because it's really uh, our basic animal impulse, you know. And um, even though, like people like Freud, Freud, uh, I don't know how to say that. Freud, Freud. Yes. Um, even though people laugh about his theory uh, today yes. more than they used to do, but when he talk about sex and death and uh, all, all these philos philosophical uh, concepts, I think he was touching something and mm -hmm. and saying something about uh, our lives and who we are. You know? Well, as long as we talk about that, look at some of the horror films that deal with things. When you, when you go past sexuality and go into childbirth, you've got Cronenberg's mm. The Brood. Yeah. You've got uh, It's Alive. You've got Grace, which I think is the most recent mm -hmm. one, about uh, babies representing an almost parasitic yeah. organism. Uh, and I think that might be a, that's a real fear for some people, and that's why those films have struck a chord. Yeah, we tend to, to think of uh, maternity as uh, something wonderful for the woman and everything, but there's a woman that rejects the babies. They don't Yes. like it they find it ugly and they don't uh, there's some weird reactions and our deal without that th those kind of fears that we don't admit to ourselves yeah. or sometimes those those kind of desires that we won't admit to ourselves like uh, wanting to kill someone or yeah. wanting to I don't know what wanting to, to sleep with someone yeah. or wanting to so uh, it's all dealing with that kind of fantasies too. Well, I've talked about horror being because of that that facet that element of it good horror of course mm -hmm. uh being the most sincere of genres because it is a mirror to things that we wouldn't normally admit. It's not polite, you know, it's not something that uh, I could go to work and talk about that. But those dark places exist within us, and I think horror can express those in a, in a sincere and safe way. And I guess, uh, I guess to mirror what you're saying, 
porn or not maybe not even directly pornogra- pornographic films, but films about sex yeah. can do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I can't wait to see the reaction to the next uh, Lars von Trier film, Monkomaniac. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear about that because it will be funny to see uh, Did you like how Melancholia? people react. I love Melancholia. Mm-hmm. I think film. it's one of the better way to represent uh, depression yeah. <laughs> that I've seen on yeah. film. And it's it, and kind it's, of hard. It yeah. hurts. Yeah, it hurts to watch. It yeah. hurts to watch. Oh, yeah. It, so. It's an intense film. Antichrist, same yeah, thing. Antichrist. Yeah. And I think that horror film and porn film will never be mainstream for the reasons that you were saying. Exactly. Because it comes from dark places. And as long as there's, there is um, transgressive horror films and porn films and all that stuff sexual, about sexuality, there will be a place for it. The day that it is mainstream, I mean, it's, it's over. Well, I do think you're right. And I think for the same reason, I, was, I think they're too honest. Yeah. Yeah, the good ones. I think they're too honest, and people are uncomfortable with honesty. Yeah. People are always more comfortable with the lie yeah. and the politeness. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah, but uh, and that I think that comes, you know, that comes a lot from the philosophy mm-hmm. that both you and I have read. Uh, you talked a lot about last night about Kierkegaard. Yeah. You mentioned, of course, Camus. Yeah. You mentioned um, Kafka. Kafka. Yeah. yeah. There was another book I wanted to ask you about, but I didn't think it was the right forum. Uh, but it was very similar to The Stranger, Kamu's The Stranger. Um, it's a Swedish book called Hunger by Nuk yeah. Hansen. Yeah, yeah, I've read that, I've read that one. Yeah. It's about the other who's, uh, who can't write because he's yes. not eating. He's not eating. Yeah, yeah. He won't eat. <laughs> he yeah. won't eat. Yeah. It's a fantastic book. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. And, and so I was reminded a lot about that and, and the... Um, I guess that school of philosophy, uh, you don't want to go to Nietzsche and staring into the abyss and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It comes back to, it started clicking with me when I saw Thanatomorphos and, and also when I saw uh, Crepuscule earlier today, mm-hmm. um, which uh, your short film Crepuscule, this is the, the stop motion film, mm-hmm. deals a lot, there's a lot of sex in it. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of voyeurism yeah. from, uh, from an outside perspective uh in this case uh i I guess like woodland creatures yeah uh not woodland creatures but wood nymphs or some kind of monster right what actually can you tell me about what what they represent well when i was was writing the script what i had in mind with the creatures Uh was kind of um the setup is kind of like the paradise lost you know (laughs) you know kind of that place where two humans come in and there's like creatures that are living was afraid of sex was afraid of sex (laughs) and um yeah, those kind of fallen angels who yes. are just living in that kind of peaceful world, but they're slowly becoming the the trees or the the, the environment yes. where they are because there's nothing happening and they're just like living. They're kind of dead. And, and I had that in mind and I was thinking a lot about the Japanese buto dance, yeah. the dance of darkness, you mm-hmm. know, where you get, where you explore what you are inside through a... Uh, through the body again, with like sex, crying, sex, sex is the sex dance, and, you're, and, and you're, yeah, yeah, and uh, you're really grounded on the on the on the floor and everything. So it's like a yeah, body dance, uh, uh-huh. dealing with dark aspects of our personality in our life. And for me, those creatures were like, uh, were, were a mix of that. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they are fascinated by like the couple of humans that yeah. come into their woods, and uh, they want to learn about it about them, and they might want to become them because their life are so boring yes yeah they're leaving and they're everything goes fine for them but at the same time hey uh yeah they, they're making stuff that we can they, they, there are uh, things i want to talk yeah. about but i don't want to give it away <laughs> uh, and i am going to show it at horrible imaginings this year i thought it was a very good short 
Um, I Ooh. could see it's uh, uh, animation-wise. I can tell it was your first. Slightly rough around the yep. edges, yep. but uh, but actually yep. that did help with some of the surreality of it. Yeah, I'm happy that it has those rough sides yeah. because I think sometimes films are too. Um, are to polish, you yes. know. And at the same time, particularly it, horror films, yeah. it looks like our creatures. You yes. know, it's kind of clumsy. They're like, oh, they can't really move. They yeah. don't fit in. And so for me, it was kind of the flo- that kind of flaw yeah. uh, helped with the film. Excellent. All right, so let's talk about the Natalmorphos, mm. which is what uh, it's a word that means uh, the rotting that comes about after death. Yeah. Okay. And that is what the film's about. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately for your main character, it's not after death. Right? <laughs> so uh, essentially, it's a girl in an apartment rotting away as mm-hmm. if she had died. Um, but there's a lot of sexuality in this too, and I think it goes back to what you just mentioned. Among people who are near death, there's mm-hmm. a rise in libido. Yeah. And so you, you, you show that in this film in, uh, in some both disturbing and some darkly humorous ways. Uh, First of all, why don't you tell me about uh, where you got the idea for just this character and her predicament? It really was from reading I had at that time. Uh, I was you were talking about uh, earlier on about Kierkegaard, uh, mm-hmm. the sickness in, unto death, yes. which is uh, the kind of basis of existentialism and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Where he's saying that the problem we have as human is that we always either want to be someone else or wanting too much to be ourselves. <laughs> so that's kind of the problem, you know. And uh, it's really interesting. So for me, the character was created with that in mind. At first, we had a male character. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask about that. So yeah. I'm glad you're talking about it. Yeah. I, I just scrapped it because I didn't find it interesting. Why? It's really cliche to say that, but um, the female body has so, so many ways of... Uh, or, or, or discourse around it, like uh, either in art, either in philosophy, either the way we, we look at women the way women look at their at themselves uh, so i thought it was more interesting to go in that places but putting inside her some of my own concerns yeah. uh, there's a lot of myself in that characters even though it doesn't show and even though well but there's a lot of myself into that <laughs> characters yeah. so uh, without giving too much away without giving too much away yeah. so uh it it just simply felt into places uh, with with those ideas and i was Simply wondering, how would you react if your body just is just so falling apart? Yeah, it's just falling apart. So the whole film is just structured around that. How she reacts to stuff, or not react, or doesn't react. You know, it's definitely a body horror yeah. film. Yeah, which is obvious. <laughs> Why do you think body horror is so effective? Again, it it simply comes back to uh, what we're afraid of, or what we might want. Uh, sexuality is in body horror is sometimes really hard or uh, disturbing but we have that kind of fantasies you yes. know uh, like sometimes you see a you know a nice guy a good looking guy or a good looking girl and say oh that one I will <laughs> you know uh, you will never do that it's okay right. but at the same time you might have these ideas it and, th- and sometimes in, in those films you have these scenes like Cronenberg you think about Crash yes it's kind of all great film. It's amazing. It's one of his best films for me. But uh, it's all about that. How you uh, you give, how you how you live your it fantasies. Is the even in a mix of sex yeah, and horror. Yeah. Even uh, though it, it's once. destructive. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, it it's interesting. Body horror is interesting because it's all about our body falling apart. Yeah. Not necessarily uh, 
like in teratomorphosis, which is rotting apart, right. but. Uh, all sometime we can do some stuff because our body is limited or it stopped yeah. working. Uh, when you think about the fly uh, oh, yeah. by Cronenberg, at first it gives him new powers, mm-hmm. like he can jump, he's like uh, he uh, muscles, he's like whoa! I'm like, and it's really funny because it's stuff that our body can do or, or won't do. Yeah. So it's all about that, and it's it's really. Um, well, it was interesting to see you brought up Cronenberg's The Fly, which clearly had a lot of influence on the mm-hmm. anamorphosis. Jeff Goldblum in Cronenberg's The Fly goes through the levels of acceptance. At first, he's horrified, then he's super excited, and then he's scared, and and then he wants other things. But he goes through these levels, um, and you talked about that. And and you wanted to show that in Thanatomorphos. So I was wondering if if you would discuss some of the levels of acceptance of death that you've read about. Uh, Yeah. Well, essentially, what we made with our characters, uh, we didn't really uh, follow uh, fully uh, the the different level of acceptance uh, Which is uh, morning. It's like it's like um, real life. It's never yeah. Yeah. uh, You know, perfect. Yeah. So in our film, the character accepts it, you know, at first, and she just lives with it, and she doesn't really react. She just takes it and manages to work with it. Amazingly in stride. Amazingly, actually. yeah. <laughs> uh, until she starts kicking in with other stuff. But uh, for me, that was the interesting part. Is like, if someone doesn't care about life anymore, mm-hmm. uh, what could happen, you know? Yeah. Be- because it's really like uh, Camus or all those kind of books. It's just you d- just didn't care anymore, and you just wander through life, and you let things happening around you. And you just doesn't care, you know. You don't know if it's real, if it's not. You don't care. My, what I got from the film was that it was her level of learned apathy yeah. that caused this to happen in the first place. So that was just my own interpretation. So it, the guy last night did ask, you know, why doesn't she call the doctor? Yeah. But it, it, it kind of there's a lot of people who don't. Yeah. You know, people who will sit and just not rot literally like in your film no. but we'll sit and just rot in their homes and never leave and no. you know eat only cocoa puffs every day and die well you you see, you see that with uh sometimes like people who start smoking weed and just yes. doesn't get out anymore just eating and smoking weed and blah, blah. or uh, sometimes people who get some bad disease uh, my sisters work in hospitals and the horror stories that she's telling me, like people that are coming in, uh, like, I don't know, um, it, it might be uh, a little bit disturbing, but uh, there was someone who had the cra- who had crabs, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was everywhere on Real. his body. Oh. So how long did it take before he went to the hospital, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's kind of a little bit like the character. Like, uh, mm-hmm. she didn't really naturally said, oh, I must go to the hospital. because, But she doesn't care, and she just lived it that way, and she reacted to that. And that's kind of a good mirror of our life. Yeah. Because in the film, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work. Doesn't work out because she wants it, or she doesn't do the stuff to make it work, mm-hmm. or because it's really things that aren't happening and she doesn't have control over that. You start off the film very slowly. You, you talked about this again last mm-hmm. night. The, the first act is very slow, but to get across what you're trying to get across, this idea of rotting, it's, it starts off slowly. Mm-hmm. It starts off in little patches. So uh, what what made you consider your pacing? And also with that question, you use music very sparingly. And when the music chimes in, it's very powerful. But sometimes there's no music at all. So <laughs> what made you think about what cues were important for music? 
Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, uh, when we decided to uh, put music on the film, uh, I knew that I didn't want it music uh, everywhere, you know, yeah. patch it out, because uh, it's too distractive and it's too, um, you're really manipulating the viewer when you use music. Uh, so sometimes you have film that just put music, music uh, beneath every scene just because they know that the minor note will make people yeah. a bit sad and I don't know. Listen, uh, Danny uh, Boyle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we, um, at first I wanted someone to, uh, to compose the music, a, a band in Montreal. It didn't work out, uh, but I stumbled upon uh, funerary violent music uh, by Ron Kuiza Weck, uh, who is in, um, in the UK. And it was just perfect because it's uh, music that's supposed to be played during funeral? a funeral. Yeah. yeah, and we just put some music in some place in the film, and amazingly, <coughs> it just worked with the pictures. Mm -hmm. The editing was made, but it seemed to fit with the cues. <laughs> it was really uh, frightening. Yeah, so it was <laughs> organic. Like, it, it was organic. Yeah. yeah, but for me, mu music and sound in a film. Uh, people always think about the images, yeah. uh, but 50% of the film is the sound. Oh, yeah. Even though people don't... Uh, don't well, it's more subtle. Yeah, it's yeah. more subtle. Uh -huh. Even though when sound doesn't work, people always notice it, but oh, yeah. when it works, people just don't... Seems I have seem noticed that, that yeah. if the image is okay, but not great, people will f mm. forgive it. But if the sound doesn't work, then it's all lost. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's important, like in a film, um, to come back to a question, like Tantomorphose, which is about a lonely character, yes. who doesn't talk much, who let things happening uh, to, her, to her, and uh, who just wanders through life to just give place to her environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, the sound must reflect that. So that's why there's a lot of apartment Yes. Uh, noises like uh, cracking or sometimes people in other apartments or stuff like that. Oh, the uh, flies buzzing. The flies oh, buzzing. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's one detail that really hit home seeing it on the big screen in that theater that I didn't get as much of sitting watching it on my computer is, is, those is there's a lot of atmosphere sounds that are very subtle and very uh, small details that are really powerful. So that was much nicer to see in that group. Yeah. <laughs> well, those are important. Yeah, you yeah. You, you direct the um, the audience attention to some stuff yes. or not, and uh, sounds help people to uh, put their imagination in the film. Yeah, because sometimes you don't necessarily see everything. Anyway, you can't show everything in a film. You have to select uh, uh, close up or large shot and anything. Uh, but you can create all the atmosphere and all the world around and people tend to put a little bit of their selves when you sound uh, according to these principles. So it's really fun to, uh, to play with that. I'll talk uh, about that a lot, of filmmakers knowing when to not show mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and your film shows a lot. <laughs> <laughs> however, however, there are some implied things and sometimes it feels like maybe it was because it would have been too expensive but sometimes it feels like there was more thought behind it. Yeah, but well, there were because uh, when we started the film, we said we we are putting monies on special effects yes. and on the sound, and that I, I was like uh, impossible to change my mind on that. Mm -hmm. It was special effects and sound, and if we didn't show something, it's not because the special effects aren't working. Or it's just because we didn't want it to show that at yeah. that moment. Let people. Yeah. And, and you do that in a number of ways. Either the camera turns away yeah. or it loses focus. Yeah. There are the number of times it loses focus. 
um, and and it doesn't feel like your DP over here fucked up. Like it was <laughs> it was on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was that was interesting and well done. And it's something that you don't see a lot in films is uh, is that that uh, purposeful loss of focus. And it's yeah. not soft focus. It's just <coughs> obscuring what we're seeing. Yeah. Well, but I, I do believe in the um, old theories of cinema. You know, like uh, André Bazin or Edgar Morin were saying, like, uh, uh, there's a kind of ethics yes. in cinema. Uh-huh. And on what you're showing, when you're showing it, you can show everything in a film. It depends how, and according to the subject. Yeah. And in that case, there's a girl rotting. So it would have been a scam not to show things happening, you know. Yes. No, <laughs> totally. Why doing a film about a, a girl's rotting if you don't address that kind of stuff? And since the body is the object in the film, Uh, we had to show like body fluids, every body fluid that we could, and was, stuff like that. I was wondering you know? if I was going to ask you about that because I didn't want to give too much away. But you don't shy away from any no. body fluids. You have to uh, to yeah. show stuff, but and it's being truthful to your subject and what you're saying in the film. Right. Uh, so, so that's the great thing too about being independent yeah. for a film like that. Because with producers or someone wanting to make money oh, or be mainstream, hold back, hold back. Yeah. you know, you, we wouldn't have, have the actress naked for almost all the film. Almost we wouldn't have like the guys yeah. naked too. We wouldn't have uh, uh, some other stuff that I won't say here. But <laughs> but that's the great part, you know. And, and you you don't shy away. I don't know if this was you or your DP, but you don't shy. shy. There are times when. The camera would just stay yeah. on an uncomfortable image for about two minutes, <laughs> and everybody's sitting there like, "Okay, let's move away from this now. This is disgusting." <laughs> But uh, you brought up the actress whose performance was quite brave, mm. being disrobed throughout most of the, like almost the whole film. She's completely naked, and so for the first half of it, it's like an audience member might think, "Okay, this is a little gratuitous." Yeah. But then, by the end, you realize that it works because there is a contrast between her body at the beginning and her body at the end. And when it's over and credits roll, you're like, she she had to be naked. She had to be. It was really, it was interesting. <laughs> well, the first part of the film is and a mirror not, to the second part. Yeah, well, and, yeah, and it's not totally titillating. Nope. Eventually, it gets less and less titillating until it's just like. I mean, part of the whole idea is that it's the opposite of titillating. Yeah, because um, I think nudity is like all the all the all you're seeing in the uh, usually because um, it's like uh, how can I say that um, people who are walking naked. Mm-hmm. You know, at first you said, "Oh, nice girl." Then yeah. you watch the other girl, "Oh, nice girl." But after uh, half an hour, maybe if you're really uh, <laughs> you like to watch a nice-looking girl, but. Everyone's naked, so you just doesn't care anymore. You don't right. didn't care. You go past that and you go somewhere else, and that's funny because at the start of the film, the people say, "Oh, okay, they, right. those who are who like that kind of girl." But uh, what? Uh, but it's funny because you slowly it loses get people. It loses sexuality. People doesn't care anymore that she's naked, and then you can use that. Yeah, uh, it becomes commonplace. Yeah, it becomes commonplace, yeah. and can you can use that to get your point across. So that's really. Fun to do that, and that's why too that the male characters mm-hmm. for me has to be naked so at some point because it's not girl or boys; it's the same thing, you know. Yes. And you're having sex. Why would the guy have his boxers, uh, boxers on, yeah. on and the yeah. girl be naked? Or oh, come on, uh, you, you have to be uh, <laughs> you have to do it properly, you know? Right. And yeah. she has a particular dream with some male nudity that is really great, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> 
Okay, so I think there's there's one last thing I want to talk about because yep. we're getting a bit longer than I usually go, but uh, it's fun. It's not a bad thing when that's the it's interesting. Uh, but this is also from last night. I found fascinating, and this is going to relate to what you said at the beginning of this interview. Okay, when you said that a lot of horror filmmakers, particularly, unfortunately just um, don't really come to it with a lot of ideas. They just come to it with what they've seen before. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that seems to be such the norm. It's so what's accepted that this was your reaction last night when you brought up Kierkegaard. Yeah. Last night you were talking about Kierkegaard as an influence, but you apologized about sounding pretentious, which I thought was hilarious. So I feel like that we often confuse pretension with thoughtfulness and intelligence. So I think that there are a lot of filmmakers who just make shit and don't think about stuff and don't think about things like their reading or what they bring to it, but are totally pretentious. So there's a a difference between being pretentious and discussing whatever reading you've done or what has come into your film. Do you have an idea for why it seems culturally we are embarrassed to talk about that. I think horror needs more Kierkegaard. I think horror <laughs> needs more uh, Nietzsche. You know, oh my God, those guys are like the masters of horror. One thing that's overlooked in horror, I believe, is the emotion of despair. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, why did you say that? <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. It's like film like Tanatomorphos, it's really funny because uh, sometimes people who are saying that they are a fan yeah. have problem watching that film because they found it boring or too extreme or anything what they want is comedy horror yeah which for me is not real horror it's comedy yeah. because horror isn't fun isn't supposed to be <laughs> well so uh, i love evil dead too i love yes. brain dead dead alive yes. by peter jackson i love those films but they are comedy horror yeah. it's more like uh, slapstick horror yeah. you know um, Splatstick, plastic yeah. as they said uh, Peter Jackson once said <laughs> so you're it's right what, it doesn't take yeah. you to that dark place you yeah. don't feel uncomfortable yeah so you have sometimes real dark real intense discussion with people who said they love horror but they can dig that kind of film like the Tomophos yeah. but they will say like the best or irreversible film, they are uh they are funny and you must uh, enjoy yourself it, it must be a, a kind of uh, entertainment to yes. them no, I guess it, it, violence isn't fun. Well, that's just it, <laughs> and, right? And uh, uh, being depressed isn't fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the kind of stuff. Or so, despair. Or, or despair. So that's one of the part that why I was saying I don't want to be pretentious. But the other part is that sometimes I don't want to overthink what I'm doing. Yeah. I'd like to do that in a way, but I don't want to, to overthink. Because sometimes there's stuff that... I don't even realize why they're there, right. but they're working. And then people ask me why, or they saying me their interpretation, uh, and I'm like, "Well, you discovered something that I was maybe searching or wasn't aware of, or was doing." Because uh, it's kind of Walter Murch, yes. uh, the editor, w- once said, "When you're making a movie, ninety percent of it is you must um, follow your feelings." Yes, don't think, feel. Yeah, feel. Yeah. And when I was editing Tanatomorphos or Crepuscule or everything with Benoit, um, the DOP, which is also the editor, that's how I'm going. Like, if I feel what the character is feeling, I know that someone else will feel it somewhere. Yeah. So I know that I have hit something that is right. I think about what I'm doing, but sometimes I just let myself go with the, the flow, you know, the yeah. flow of the film. And sometimes I realize afterward what I was doing. So I was like, oh, yeah, it made me think. I can of see what, where I that can see came that. from. Yeah. Um, but I think that horror is like every other art form. Uh, 
you must acknowledge what came before. Mm -hmm. You must be aware of what came before. It it kills me when I I look at an horror movie and it's like they make a film like they were making them at the start of the 70s. Like, I come on, we've seen horror film for 40 years. We all know that if there's a killer at that place, you don't split the group. No, so come on, please, you cannot do that anymore. Or if you're doing it, you must show the audience that you know you're doing it. Right, like happened no, in the woods. Did yeah, it? don't yeah. they... Don't think we are dumb or uh, no, don't do that. Or maybe it's just because you didn't put enough effort or you didn't yeah. think about your place in See, something. This, this That's what my, it kills me. Yeah, this is my exact problem. And, and this might get me some shit on the internet. But this is my exact problem with the Evil Dead remake, mm -hmm. which it had its fun moments. But they started out the first act so serious. And so, so realistic. You know, they're mm -hmm. there, they're for a drug intervention. Did you see that? Yeah, I see this one. For a yeah. drug intervention. They make it so serious that by the time they drag the rug away from the basement floor and a big streak of blood comes across, I cannot believe that they wouldn't say, okay, let's get the fuck out of here and call the cops. Yeah. Like, they, you don't stay there and investigate the basement. No one would do that. Uh, it's perfectly fine if you start like Evil Dead 2, where it's yeah. just goofy from the beginning. Okay, we get it. This is, in this world, they're all just goofy. But that's not how they established the film. So that drove me really crazy. So, again, it's the same thing. It's like in classic 70s horror, every character is dumb and you just want yeah. the kills and whatever. But, but at the same time, they were the, not the first films, but they were the, yeah, they were the film that bring that to a kind of not mainstream, but a kind of general audience. Yes. You know, when you watch the first slashers, like you see the first Jason, Friday 13, mm -hmm. you can believe that maybe in the wood they did it, but <laughs> there were no killers in the wood. You know, it, yeah. it never happens in the real life. Well, okay. There might, not like it does in Jason. Yeah. <laughs> usually in films, uh, usually in real life, it doesn't happen. Yeah. But when you've seen slasher film for 20 years, you know, you get in the wood in a movie and your character is in 2013, <laughs> you will ask yourself some questions if something <laughs> shitty happens, you know? Yeah. I've so, seen this in movies before, yeah. guys. That's so, so, so that's a problem, I think. Yeah. Uh, and in Telecomorphos, uh, there's a lot of references to other films. Uh, and I made them my way, but at the same time, they are clear. Because I acknowledge what they have done and I acknowledge that these films exist and that I, I, I work after them, you know? Right. Like and the that, fly. I, like the fly, yeah. like uh, Polanski stuff, or like uh, Elrazer stuff, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Fulci, uh, Italian. No, you have to acknowledge that it existed. Yeah. And you can just come uh, come with your idea of movies. Say, oh, I'm fucking original. I'm, they've never made this. No, I'm sorry. Someone made it somewhere yeah. at one point. Always. It's all been done. <laughs> it's all been done. So how do you do it? And how do you don't think you're your viewers are stupid enough to not see that right. it has been done before, you know? Yeah, come on. Have an uh, yeah. Like, like the feelings or the originals or the exploration could come from a different angle, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's important for me, and that kills me that horror films aren't taken seriously, okay, uh, by a certain um, oh, yeah, mainstream and people. And never and will, you're but right, even right. though, even with, as I was saying earlier on, by horror fans <laughs> who was just making some stuff or sometimes when I was thinking about the ethic or the moral in yeah. films they're making stuff that's just like okay it was gratuitous uh, uh, okay, yeah gratuitous and then uh, you're like okay you're just making that for the sake of uh, for the sake of uh, shocking people yeah but it doesn't bring anything else so come on you're just like killing 
the Aura when you're doing that kind of stupid stuff. Come on. Yeah, you can make something groundbreaking or, or, or even shocking or even sickening and have it say something. Like yeah. I mentioned before, Irreversible. Yeah. You mentioned last night the Necromantic. Necromantic. Uh, which are both repulsive films. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but there's something behind yeah. it. Yeah, especially the second one. The second yeah. one for me is Necromantic a masterpiece. Too is a, it is a masterpiece. Yeah. Highly underrated. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so... I'd love to see what comes out of that. I know that that director is uh, working yeah. uh, on an anthology right now with, and this is for all of you out there, with director uh, Michael Kosakowski, mm-hmm. who did, did you see Zero Kill? Mm-hmm. The direct- yeah, I, I showed that, that at my film festival last year. Uh, and uh, and so they're they're collaborating now with some other people on an anthology in, in Germany uh, called German Angst. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to seeing what that's all about. Uh, so everybody, look out for! I believe they're going to start crowdsourcing for that too. Oh, they started already. <laughs> They've I think. already started. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So go give them your money. <laughs> <laughs> but it will be. Uh, that is interesting, you know. Yeah. And, and not giving pe- what people want. It's fun sometimes to be challenged. Sometimes, yeah, I like to just sit and see what I expect to see, and I'm happy with that. Right. But sometimes it's fun to uh, get that films that doesn't give you what you want. And Necromantic Two is especially that you're sitting the first time you see it, it's like, okay, that yeah. wasn't like the first one. So what am I watching? Yeah. And it's really fun because it it brings you the viewer to uh, participate in what you're seeing, give your thoughts, and you know. It's, it's amazing. People don't like having their expectations challenged. Yeah. This is something I've noticed. They hate it. They want what they expect, and they want it on a silver platter. And so it's, it's a very select group of people who are willing to uh, have their expectations smashed. Yeah. And so that was nice about Necromantic, too. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so why don't... Uh, you're at Vimeo. If people search Thanato Films, yep. they'll find your stuff. Yep. Do you know about any other screenings for Thanatomorphos that people can go see? Yeah, we have a screening uh, coming in Fantasia in Montreal, Excellent. which is the... Festival, yeah, yeah, one of the biggest film festivals. Uh, we have one coming in Spain in July. Uh, Barcelona. In Barcelona. Uh, and in October and uh, November, we have two screenings in the U.S., but I can't say yet <laughs> where, uh, but there's one on the East Coast and one in the South. So, uh, yeah. But if you go on our website, tenetomorphosefilm.com, uh, you will uh, have the news for that. Right. Uh, and we'll also have a DVD release in the U.S., yeah. uh, maybe not in 2013. Maybe by the start of 2014, but at least, even though you won't catch it, maybe in a screening room, you will be able to see it somewhere. Yeah, but definitely try to see it on the big screen. It will be yeah. much better. Uh, well, that was so fun. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm yeah. really happy that you took the time to uh, ask me some questions about yeah. the film. Good listening and have a lot of fun and watch great horror film and keep listening. Make horror smarter. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.